It's wonderful to be here today with all of you. As has already been mentioned, we appreciate the presence of every person that is here. And if you are a guest here today, we would hope and pray you would feel as you are. And that is as an honored guest. I have on the screen the title of our lesson today, and it's Blessed Are the Persecuted. Now, I think that we've all been guilty of something I know I have. Sometimes when we look at our life and compare it to the life of the ancient worthies that died for their faith, or really were persecuted in the days of the early church, we realize when we compare our life, we realize that it is not as bad as others have had it. We know that. But when you think about it like this, we do need to understand we do have persecutions in our life. In fact, the Bible says that anyone that is going to live godly will suffer persecution. It doesn't say they may suffer persecution. It says they will suffer persecution. And just because we are not taken and physically persecuted or beaten or cast into prison because of our faith doesn't mean we don't have persecutions in our life. Sometimes we have it among family, sometimes with a boss that we're working for, sometimes it is with those that we go to school with, sometimes it's all the pressures that is applied to us, all those things, they are real. But what does the Word of God say about this subject? In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we study these passages, what we're talking about is we're talking about the beginning portion of the greatest sermon ever preached. It is the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And that's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in the very beginning of that Sermon on the Mount, he begins with what is often referred to as Beatitudes. And you might remember I have dealt with all of them except this one. This is the last of those Beatitudes. But it is so relevant today about the idea of being persecuted. But remember this, as we've studied this in times past. When we interpret these Beatitudes... We must interpret them from a spiritual perspective and not from a physical perspective. For example, when the Bible says, when Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It was not as some would falsely interpret, you're going to have great riches in this life. Didn't mean that at all. It was phraseology that they would have understood, referring back to the land of Canaan, a literal land. And what he was saying is, we're talking about something else. From a spiritual perspective, we're talking about inheriting or having a home, an allotted portion in heaven. So when we interpret the Beatitudes, we must interpret them from a spiritual perspective and not a physical one. It begins in each verse with the word blessed. And the word blessed comes from the Latin term beatus, and that literally means blessed. And by the way, that's why we call them Beatitudes. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean these are Beatitudes because these are attitudes that we need to be. What it means is it comes from the word beatus, and that literally means blessed. 
Now, the word in the Greek literally means happy, fortunate, or blissful. That's what Jesus was talking about. He uses this idea to symbolize happiness that is based on pure character and holiness. But let me also say this. Scriptural blessedness is not based on outward circumstances or superficial feelings, but in the reality that one is dedicated to God and is approved by Him. But to be approved by God, one's life must be molded by the principles that are found in His Word. Now, one can be happy, one can be blessed from a spiritual perspective, one can change the way in which he thinks about life and looks at life for the following reasons. Number one, we can be blessed or happy when we're persecuted because of our relationship with God. Number two, because of the reality of truth. Number three, because of the recompense of the sinner or the wicked. In other words, that's God's job. He takes care of that. I don't have to worry about that. And what else? The reward of the righteous. Because of the reward of the righteous. These are reasons why we can be happy when we are persecuted. The Christian needs to expect, though, that he's going to have persecutions in his life. And, you know, I would say this. If you have absolutely no battle scars at all, okay, now I'm not indicting anyone, but please hear my words. If, in fact, I'll use myself for an example. If I have absolutely no battle scars whatsoever, and I'm not persecuted at all in any way, shape, or form in my spiritual life. And I go all of my life and I am not persecuted and I've got no battle scars at all. It's very possible that I've lived a life of compromise and not lived a life of truth. Because when you stand for what is right, the Bible says when you live godly, you will suffer persecution. So understand this. I don't understand why people in the world think if I come to Jesus Everything in my life is going to be great. Nobody's going to get mad at me anymore. Nobody's going to put me down. And all the struggles that I've had, they're gone once I serve Jesus. No, that's not what it says at all. In fact, nowhere in the Word of God does it say that when I become a Christian, I now have an easier life. It just says this. I'm going to have a better one after this one if I serve God all the days of my life. And God is with me all the, all the way, every step of the way, in helping me through the trials of life. When we're persecuted, we ought to be happy, not because of the physical pain that we suffer, but due to the spiritual blessings that we experience. Now, in each beatitude, each one of these is the following. There is the declaration of blessing. Then there is the description of an attitude. And then finally, the disposition of the blessing, or that's really the blessing itself. But it begins with a declaration of blessing. You know, the word blessing, by the way, comes from the word markarios, and the word contains the idea of happiness and contentment. Let me give you a Bible passage about contentment. You may have in your life, you don't have any happy feelings, but you can be content. You may not like what's going on in your life, but you can be content. 
In fact, Paul said that very thing. Paul said, what I have learned, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Paul learned that in the things in which he suffered and all that he had in his life. He said, I've learned to be content. But let me give you another passage. Chris very recently preached on the marriage question. He talked on marriage and divorce. And one of the passages he referred to was 1 Corinthians chapter 7, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is describing a woman that has been married. She's a Christian, and her husband is dead. And we understand that she's bound by the laws of the marriage law while her husband lives, but when he's dead, she's free from that. What does Paul say? If she wants to remarry, can't she? Sure. Only in the Lord, though. Only a Christian. But this is what Paul said. Here's that word again. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 40, she is happier if she remains as she is. That's content. That's blessed. All right, going back to the previous slide. With such a blessing, it changes how we look at things. It changes our attitude. Attitude is everything. I don't care what, where you are in life or what you're doing in life. Attitude is everything. It was said by someone one time that attitude, your attitude, is the aroma of your heart. And sometimes we have a very poor perspective on things because we have a very poor attitude. I saw something the other day. I thought it was fantastic. I coached football for many, many, many years and all that, 12 years. And, uh, you know, there's always a pregame speech. And you always try to think about something that would inspire the men to take the field and be their best. I saw a little clip. It was sent to me by a friend and uh, sent to my phone. And it was a, a young boy with Down syndrome. And it was obvious that this young boy had challenges and he was the one that was going to give the pregame speech. And he stood before them. And I thought, man, this will preach. He stood before that group of men, those young men, those high school football players. And he said this. He said, I want you to be all in. He said it again. He said, I'm telling you right now, I want you to be all in. And then he said, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. And I thought, man, that'll preach. Be all in and don't have a bad attitude. Don't you see what happens? Because of the promise of this blessing, it changes our attitude. Now, you either believe and have faith in the blessing and faith in God or you don't. But when you have a declaration of blessing or the promise of a blessing, it should change how we think. It should change our attitude. That's what it does. And in every one of these Beatitudes, all three of these are given. And then finally, we find this also, that at the end, we find there's a disposition of the blessing, which is the actual specific blessing itself. All of these three things are found in every Beatitude. All right, let's talk about the one that's before us today. The final one that Jesus gave. And you know, in many ways, it might seem most paradoxical or contradictory. Of all the Beatitudes... I mean, after all, Jesus is saying, happy or blessed are those that are persecuted. It sounds like a paradox. How could you be? They're at odds with one another. The others seem to make sense. For example, we understand how we can be happy by being meek. We get that. 
We can understand how we can be happy being merciful. And incidentally, the Bible talks about our demeanor toward others. And if we don't have any mercy, the Lord's not going to have any mercy to us. But there's a secondary benefit, and we can understand it. If I am merciful to others, and everybody knows me as being a person that is merciful of others, don't you think others are going to treat me maybe a little better? Sure. Now, you might get some bad people. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about a benefit in our life. What about this? We can understand about being happy, about being pure in heart. About being pure in heart. We get it. But how can one be happy when he's persecuted? These two concepts seem antithetical or opposed to each other. Yet that's exactly what Jesus teaches in this great lesson for us to learn. One can be happy when he is persecuted for the following reasons. And there are four. Number one, you can be happy because of your relationship with God. Happiness comes from knowing that God is on your side. I'm going to say that again if you didn't catch that. Happiness is knowing that God is on your side. Now we're talking about this. We're talking about somebody that is suffering for righteousness. God is on your side. There's a difference between sometimes that I might have to take all the ramifications that are negative about my bad choices. That's not what I'm talking about. I got that coming. What about when I'm persecuted for righteousness? I don't have that coming. Okay? God's on your side. Still going to happen in some way or another. God's on your side. He never leaves us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. There we go again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You, as my dad used to say, you and God is a majority. That's a majority. It doesn't matter all the people that are against you. If God is on your side, there's nothing greater than that. He never leaves us until we leave him. You remember the example of Samson, though? Remember Samson? Samson was being tempted by Delilah, and repeatedly she asked the question over and over, what makes you so strong? And Samson gives this and gives that as excuses to put her off. And it doesn't work. And finally she wore him down. She said, Samson, why is it or how is it that you're so strong? He said this. He said, no razor has ever touched my head based on a Nazarite vow. He said, no razor has ever touched my head. But he said this, as the King James renders it, if the razor shall shave off the seven locks of my head, I shall be like all other men. And the Bible says he falls asleep on her lap. His head is shaven. Then she says, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And he arose and he said, I will arise, I will shake myself, and it will be as all other times. But then some of the saddest words ever Come next. But he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. Do you know why the Lord was departed from him? Because he departed from the Lord. He didn't leave us. We leave him. Here's something else too. In Psalm 46, look at this. God is our refuge and strength. Let me ask you something. I don't know how it is with you in your life, but if you're struggling, if you're struggling in your spiritual life, let me ask you something. Is God your refuge and strength or are you trying to do it all by yourself? 
Do you remember when the disciples, Jesus tells them, he tells Judas, one of you will betray me. You remember what Peter said? Oh, not me. I will never do that. And Jesus says, Peter, by the time that the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And then the Bible says about the rest of them, they all forsook him and they all fled. Do you know why? They were trying to use their own strength. And you know what happens when we try to use our own strength? We fail. We're nothing. Are you trying to get your strength from God or are you trying to get your strength from yourself? If you're struggling, ask yourself, is God being my refuge in this particular matter? Is God my strength in this particular matter? Or am I doing it all by myself? Am I relying on my own strength? Notice what else he is. A very present help in trouble. Man, that's great. What is he? He's a very present help in trouble. Here's my response to that. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, I know this, I'm not going to fear because God is my refuge and my strength. He's my present help in times of trouble. Why can I be happy? I can be happy because of my relationship with God. Here's another one. In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. He's with me. He's with you. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will greatly be ashamed and they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. Happiness comes from knowing that Jesus understands all the things that we go through because Jesus has been persecuted too. Far greater than we ever will. I don't have time to go into it, but I just want to reference the passage in Isaiah 53. Of all the things that Jesus endured, we can't even fathom how awful it was for the things that the Lord endured. And I think the greatest, maybe, torment in his mind in the Garden of Gethsemane was the fact that the wrath of God on sin would be placed on him. That's number one. He would have to bear the sins of the world. And by the way, if he was going to bear the sins of the world, then the wrath of God against those sins would be upon him too. And I think that's part of when he said, let this cup pass from me. Not just the suffering. That's part of it too, but it has to be more than that. What else? The father turned his eyes. And for the first time, Jesus would do it all alone. When I think about what we go through, though, do you know this? If you're enduring and you're going through the persecutions in your life and you're standing for what is right, he's not turning his head at all. He's right there with you. But Jesus had to do it. So what do we learn? We learn in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. For if for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So, we need to understand we're going to have some persecution. We're going to have some suffering. Notice what else. What did Jesus do? He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's God. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, 
That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Happiness comes from knowing that you're a child of God. That I'm a child of God, regardless of persecutions. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people that would love that. There's a lot of people that would love having a relationship with God. In fact, there's a lot of people that think they do have a relationship with God. More on this in a minute, but they try to do it on their own terms. And they think that they have a relationship with God. And they love the idea or the concept of having a relationship with God. Do you know what's different from a Christian and somebody in the world that thinks they have a concept of a relationship with God? It is not a concept with us. It is reality. We have a relationship with God. He is our Father. So, one reason for happiness, contentment during persecutions... Is because of our relationship with God. But number two, this is huge, the reality of truth. Why is this so important? Why is the reality of truth a blessing to us? And why can we be happy based upon the reality of truth? Well, happiness comes from knowing that truth does not change. Okay? I'm going to give you an example. If somebody is hard on you, or somebody is mad at you, or somebody is persecuting you, do you know what it is what we do in our mind? We might get resentful, we might get our feelings hurt at first, but at some point we may do this. At some point we may say, is it my fault? Did I cause it? Do you know why there's a great blessing in the reality of truth? It's because truth never changes. So I can look at truth and I can look at my life and I can look at the persecution I'm going through based upon my spiritual life. And you know what I can say? It's not my fault. I can be content in that. It's not my fault. It's not my fault if I'm doing what is right. It doesn't change. Three passages, Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi, for I am the Lord, I do not change. And I love this. The psalmist David recorded, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. Look how it flows together. Jesus is the same. He is constant. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We already read that. And for I am the Lord, I do not change. The Lord is unchangeable. And something else is unchangeable too. His merciful kindness is great toward us. When we are living the Christian life. Okay. But there's more about this. Let's talk about truth for just a matter, just a minute. Happiness comes from knowing that one has obeyed the truth. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. And Jesus said to those Jews who believe in him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice what's on the screen. We have two words. They are connected. You can't separate them. What is it? Word and truth. You can't separate that. i got to share something with you. I get so frustrated 
I get so frustrated when people say there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I'm going to tell you, it's everywhere in the country. There's people that believe that in the world, in the religious world, whatever world. And the theory of today is there's no such thing as absolute truth. So you can't really obey the truth because there's nothing called absolute truth. Sometimes people say this, what's true for me may not be true for you. And you might take the word of God and you might say, this is why, what I believe and why. And they might say, well, that works for you. That's true for you. Let me tell you what's true for me and then tell what their position is on something. Notice what can't be separated. He said to those who believed in him, if conditional, you abide, that's to remain in my word. You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice, the truth is found in the word, and the word is truth. Isn't it simple when we just stick to the Bible? It's just so simple. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Listen to this. Since you've purified your souls by what? Obeying the truth. Through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, that's when you're baptized for the remission of sins, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God that lives and abides forever. You can obey the truth. You know, I can have confidence, I can have happiness knowing not only that I have a relationship with God, but secondly, the reality of truth is not going to change. And you know what? It's going to ultimately prevail. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul said, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Another passage, Psalm 96 and 13, for he is coming and he will be coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The truth of the word of God will always prevail. Number three, though. When a Christian is persecuted for their faith, for living righteously in their life, they have happiness and contentment because they have a relationship with God, the reality of truth. But then there's this. Because of the recompense of the sinner or the wicked. And you might say, well, what's that mean? Why do I find happiness in the recompense of the sinner or the wicked? Because recompense is really a matter of paying something. In other words, what you have coming. What I'm saying is the reason that we can have happiness or blessedness in this is because this is God's job. That is not my job. I don't have to worry about it. Happiness comes from knowing that for the sinner also there's hope. Our desire for Christian, as a Christian is not to be that the persecutors would be destroyed, but the persecutors would be saved. And you know when Jesus said, love your neighbor, that's hard enough. But then he said, love your enemies. How do you do that? Well, one, the obvious, is how you treat them. Number two is that you have a desire for them to be saved. You can't love your enemies more then if you have a desire that they someday will turn from the error of their way, repent and obey the truth and be saved. So what Jesus was talking about is, he was talking about the idea of the sinner still having an opportunity to be saved, and that's what we want. And by the way, 
How many people in life sometimes are our enemies, but later on down the line, they obey the gospel and change their whole life? Have you heard, ever heard somebody say, I could never be a Christian because of the terrible things I've done in my life? I have. Well, I, I know one thing. I don't know anyone that's done more than Paul did to hurt the cause of Christ. And yet, he was able to say later on, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Completely changed his life. The recompense of the sinner that's in the hands of God, our job is to take the gospel to the lost. There's time and there's hope. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, just maybe this world is still standing because of God's great desire for people to be saved and God's knowledge of the fact that there's still good and honest hearts out there. And let me just add this. Can I just add this? Let's get our minds away from this concept. It's wicked, it's awful, nobody wants it. Get your mind off that. And, and, and can I throw something else in too? What if the statement I just said was true? So what? That's not my job to assess. It's my job to take the gospel and preach the gospel. It's their job to have the good and an honest heart, and it's God's job to give the increase. Even if it's rotten and gone to the dogs, it doesn't matter. Preach the gospel. Keep in the fight. Don't chicken out. Don't give up. Here's another one. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Consider Paul's words here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 and 16. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. As a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. As a pattern. All right. Have you ever considered what if you were persecuted by someone that at one time was an enemy? But have you ever considered that based upon your response, they may obey the gospel later on? Just maybe. We have to change our attitude that if the persecution coming our way and is coming at us, if it leads to the possible penitence of that sinner someday, it's a good thing. We can take that. Do a little name dropping. How about Jesus? Hey, how about Hebrews 12 and 2? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for what? The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was not saying that the joy that was set before him was the driving of the nails in his hands and in his feet in the physical persecution and suffering. It's not what he meant. The joy that was set before him is the joy of being a savior, of saving the world through his death. Why? What happened next? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Happiness comes from knowing that personal vengeance is not needed. Sometimes we think we have to avenge ourselves. 
but that's God's job. I'm glad I don't have to personally worry about righting all the wrongs that have ever been done to me in my life. And I think really there's a certain amount of contentment that comes from that knowledge. Notice in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 19, look at this. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's the Lord's job, not my job. I don't have to worry about that. Let's go further. Therefore, here's the example, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right. Got to say something about this, though. You can't have the mindset, I'm going to really be nice to that guy because I want to really, really stick it to him. And uh, it's going to pour coals on his head of fire. I'm going to really make him mad. I'm going to be nice to him. No. That's not the mentality behind it. When you do it for the right reasons with the right spirit and the right motive, you know what it's like? It's like heaping coals of fire on his head. Do you know why? Because usually when people are ugly at you, they're wanting to create a fight, an argument. They want resistance. And when you give it to them, you give them exactly what they want. What he's saying here is what Paul's saying, don't give them that. Be overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to talk to you about forgiveness for just a minute. I don't know how it is with you. I don't. So just consider this to be a general practice or principle. Let me ask you a question. Did you know that you are allowed to forgive somebody of something that's been done to you without them ever asking for forgiveness? Did you get that? You are allowed to forgive somebody of something even if they never ask for forgiveness. Now, they still have to count to God. They still got to deal with God. Talking about personal forgiveness. Greatest example of all, how about Jesus on the cross? What do you say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, they had to answer to God. Jesus forgave them in that. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Personally, he forgave them. What about Stephen? Stephen is there. They're stoning him to death. He was the first martyr that died for his faith. And Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Personally forgive. How about great examples in the Bible? What about Joseph? I, I love that. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. He had terrible things happen in succession to him in his life. And none of it was his fault. And yet the Bible says when he has his firstborn son, he names him Manasseh. And that word literally means God has made me to forget. Forget what? Your memory? No. Forget all the trouble of my father's house. What that meant is, it didn't mean his memory vanished. It meant this. I am not going to be negatively influenced anymore by the things that have happened to me. Personally forgive. And by the way, sometimes people say, I'm not letting that guy off the hook. Not doing it. You're not letting him off the hook. You're not letting her off the hook. You're letting you off the hook. Bitterness is a heavy burden. Lay it down. 
Bitterness inside and hard feelings is a heavy burden. It's a heavy weight. Lay it down. It's destroying you. And you know this too. Sometimes people can do hateful and ugly things to us. And do you know they go about their day and they don't think about you ever again? If, if something happened to you negatively by someone, okay, they go about their life and they're not thinking about you at all. Don't give them the power to destroy you for the next two years. Don't do that. Let it go. Lay it down. Overcome evil with that which is good. But all that being said, I have to tell you this too, though. We have to say there are bad people in the world. There are. There are wicked people in the world. There really are. There are people that do horrible things. There are. My dad used to say they want to make the world as ugly as they are. It's true. There are ugly people. I don't mean physically speaking. I mean by the deeds in which they do, by the things in which they do in their life. There's some wicked people. You can't tell me that there was any good in those terrorists on 9-11. You can't say that there's one good thing. You can't sit back and say, oh, you know what? They did a bad thing, but they're really okay and they're pretty good. You just got to get to know them. No, they're rotten. You are what you are because you do what you do. We get that, okay? I'm thankful, though. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about the punishment of them. That's not up to me. That's God's part. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Notice what happens. And to, and to give you who are troubled rest with us, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those that know not God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is it's my job to preach the gospel to the sinner. If they don't obey the gospel, I don't have to be concerned from that. That's up to God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the judge. Now, what else? What else? Revelation 21 and 8. God's taking care of this too. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But fourthly and finally, not only... Do we have a basis for happiness because of the three things we've already noticed? But there's one more. And if this one's not the best one, I don't know what it is. Here's the best one. Hang your hat on this. The reward we're going to get. You've got to have something. What if living the Christian life, when it was all said and done, brought Nothing. Now, I do believe if you lived a godly life and there was no God, by the way, if there is no God, nothing matters. Nothing matters if there is no God. But when you think about that very idea, if you lived a godly life and there was no God, you would still live a better life. You would. You'd be a better citizen. You'd be a better worker. You'd be a better husband. You'd be a better wife, a better father. That's true. But what if there was nothing for all the things that we have to endure in our life, there is something, and it's called the reward, and it's coming to the righteous. Happiness also comes by knowing that persecution is merely transitory, meaning it is not permanent. 
And you know, there's even some practical benefits. You've heard my sermon on this one verse, this one passage. For our light affliction is but for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I don't know of a more encouraging passage in all the Bible. You know, this means this. You might remember this sermon I preached months and months ago. But it's working for us our light afflictions. Now, Paul had some terrible afflictions, but he called them light. And he said this, as heavy as the affliction is, it is making on the scale the weight of glory even heavier and greater. What's the eternal weight of glory? First of all, the eternal part means it is forever. It's even after this life. Okay? The eternal weight of glory is literally this. It is increasing your capacity to serve and praise God. In this life and also for all eternity. Practical example. What if somebody had to endure some terrible stuff? They can use that and have the capacity to serve God greater than they ever have. It increases your capacity. So, what's Paul saying? The more the affliction, the heavier the affliction, the heavier the weight of glory. It tips the scale. That's great stuff. What else, though? The things that we endure, they're just temporary. They're not, they're not forever. Look, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's another passage, Romans 8 and 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here's another one, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Why? It doesn't say in this you hang in there. In this you tolerate it. He doesn't say that at all. There's no passive acquiescence here. Look what you get. In this you greatly rejoice. Why? For now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So they are real. They happen. What are you going to get? It is proof and it demonstrates that your faith is genuine. And it's much more precious than that which is of gold. It's tested by fire. It may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look how it works. When you stand for what's right and you're persecuted and you act and you behave properly, guess what? God gets the glory right now. Right now. And you might have to endure and you might have to grind it out and you may have to do all that, but you know what? You get yours when Jesus comes back. That's the reward of the righteous in heaven one day. Jesus said this, Matthew 5, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Notice this too. Here's another practical benefit. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The weight that we talked about in Paul's writing to Corinth, 
increases your capacity to serve God. These things produce patience to endure for the rest of your life. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. And you know what's interesting is that we've been using the word happy all along. We've been using the word happy. The new King James says blessed. The King James says happy. Happy are you. Why? For this, why? On their part he is blasphemed. On your part he's glorified. Happiness comes from knowing that heaven awaits those that are persecuted. That's what the word of God says. Two more passages. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But you know, that's what we do sometimes. Look at this terrible thing happened to me. It happened to me. And sometimes we think that the only bad thing going on in life is what's happening to me. Sometimes our mind does that. And yet the Bible says there's nothing that's going to come on you except that which is common to man. And you know what I've found in my short life? I have found in my life, you know, I can't keep saying short life. It's getting a little longer. 53 is around the corner. So let me just say it this way. In my life, I have found that when I was going through something that might have been very difficult for me, if I kept my eyes open, I found somebody had it worse. So, don't think it's strange when some trial comes on you as though it's some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. One more passage, Matthew 5, the words of Jesus. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. In conclusion, and I'm finished. In conclusion. The child of God, when persecuted, can be happy. You know why? Because of four reasons we talked about today. Because of the Christian's relationship with God, that God will never leave our side. If he won't take it away, he'll get you the strength to get through it. And he'll never leave your side if you don't leave him. Your relationship with God. Doesn't matter what happens to me because of my relationship with God and God's right there with me every step of the way. What else? The reality of truth. I don't have to let my mind go wandering to know if I'm doing something wrong. I can just look at the word of God. Is my life doing what the word of God says? And if I'm persecuted for that, I find peace in that. I find contentment in that. And I can be happy in that. Why? The reality of truth. And I can even know how to obey the truth. Isn't that great? Number three, I can be happy too because the recompense of the sinner or the wicked is not up to me. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to avenge myself. I don't have to do that. I can overturn evil with good. And finally, I can be happy because, man, we're going to get a reward one day. We're going to get a reward one day. And when we have the capacity is and been increased the eternal weight of glory, and I have that going on in my life, that means that I carry that eternal weight of glory eternally. That's what Paul said, eternally in heaven. Means this, it increases my capacity to serve God even in heaven. How about that? That's good stuff. I'm finished. I'm finished today. Thank you so much for your kind listening. I apologize for the beginning when we try to get our system up and running. 
but I appreciate your patience. We never close a time that we assemble as the body of Christ without extending an invitation, though, to somebody that might be subject to the gospel call. First of all, there are no blessings outside of Jesus Christ. They're not. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing of the word of God produces faith. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus further said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you no, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Everybody's got to do that too. You got to change your life. In Matthew 10, 32 and Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. And that confession simply is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Upon taking those steps, though, it leads us to the point of our salvation. And that's when we go down to the waters of baptism and have our sins washed away. 1 Peter 3.21 says, the like figure wherein the even baptism doth also now save us. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.